The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For everyone who serves Christ in this way is both pleasing to God and approved by people. Therefore, let us, all of us, each of us, do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Last Sunday at this time, I was in a camp meeting out in the middle of Pennsylvania, and because uh, it was close, my son and I traveled uh, to Gettysburg, site of the great battlefield in 1863, three days of war in that battlefield. I'd never been there before, and I was surprised by the, just the scope of the battlefield. I guess I thought it was one battlefield. It's not. It's an entire region on both sides of that tiny city. We heard stories of heroism and nobility on both sides. The ground feels sacred now, even more than 150 years later. And one of the stories that we heard was a story about uh, John and Caroline Rupp, who, with their six children, lived in a two-story house on Baltimore Street, which is somewhere close to Cemetery Hill. The problem is that John's house was a fault line between the north and the south. It's where they collided. And so in a letter that he wrote to his sister Anne a couple weeks after that battle, uh, in which he, he called it a, quote, a warm and uncomfortable situation, because <laughs> they were so tactful back in those days, uh, he described what was happening in his house. He said there were 330 cannons from the north on one side of his house, and there were even more than that on the other side of his house, and they were shooting cannonballs over the top of his house, trying to bomb the other side. He said his house was, his words, riddled with bullets through the bedstead. I'm assuming that's the headboard. In the letter, he said, on the first day of the conflict, which was Thursday, July the 1st of 1863, the North, the Yankees, he called them, were on his front porch, and the rebels, he called them, were on his back porch, and they were firing at each other through his house. So he retreated to the cellar. He said in this letter, the Yanks were on the front, the Rebs were on the back. I myself was in the cellar. So you can see I was on neutral ground. <laughs> I was like, wow. Well, if you come out of the cellar when they're firing at each other and you try to make a statement like, hey, everyone, Give peace a chance. You, you will not be an agent of peace. You will be a victim of the battle. But sooner or later, when the smoke clears, you need to come out of the cellar 
and maybe say something that will bring people together. So that's what I'm going to try to do this morning. Is that all right? You can never tell with you people. I'm saying. I don't do this often, but I want to have one of these just heart-to-heart conversations with you. I left the battlefield that day, and I said to Nick, uh, I think I know a little bit about how uh, John Rupp felt. Um, Because for part of it, I had people wearing masks on my front porch and people without masks on my back porch. And they were, the ones on the front porch um, were vaccinated and the ones on the back porch were unvaccinated. CNN called them this week, the new pandemic. (laughs) Nothing incendiary about that language, is there? And they were firing at each other in the front yard They were shouting Black Lives Matter in the backyard. They were shouting critical race theory. In the front yard, they were shouting open the borders. In the backyard, they were shouting build the wall. Do you know what I mean? The front yard, they were having riots in the streets. The backyard, they were attacking the Capitol. And I myself headed to the cellar. So you can see I was on neutral ground. I think now, in hindsight, that we had the question wrong. We kept asking what, and the question is really how. We kept asking, what is your position on this or that? What are your feelings? What do you think about this? When the real question should have been, how are we going to treat people who have different convictions because the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, by this will all people know you are my disciples. Not that you have the right convictions, but that you love people even with different convictions. And so the sign of spiritual maturity was never that we would be right about these things. It was that we would have the ability to be in union with people who felt differently about these things. And it just seems to me that over the last few months, we have been so focused on getting our convictions right that we have forgotten how the people of God live with one another. Part of the problem is language. The English language, for starters, is often binary. It it doesn't have good words for the middle. Some professors have that. If I say right, you say wrong. If I say good, you say, yeah. And, but, but if I ask you to find a word that nuances the middle ground, you struggle. Professors have done this. They've actually 
ask their students to create the polar opposites. And then they said, now give me language for the middle ground. And they said, my classroom goes, it just goes crickets. Nobody can even find a word except maybe average, medium, and that doesn't always work. We don't have language that helps us nuance our differences. And so we jump quickly into one of two extremes. On top of that, our leadership has modeled this. They have taught us how to fight with people with whom we do not agree. Somebody has actually gone through the trouble. Stanford University, in fact, went through the trouble of going back to 1873 and reading congressional speeches from 1873 to the present day. Oh, there's a guy with too much time on his hands. And then he stood up in front of his class and read these speeches, asking them to discern from the language alone whether or not the speaker was a Democrat or Republican. And he found that from 1873 to the early 1900s, they were right about 55% of the time. So in other words, they were right about as often as they were wrong. But starting in 1994, something happened. The language started to polarize. From 1994 to the present, the students were able to guess the party of the speaker 83% of the time. So the language itself has been taken over and it starts to push us in one direction or another before we've even had the first conversation. And if you've led anything in the last year, you know the danger of saying nothing <laughs> You're complicit. And you know the danger of saying the wrong thing. You'll alienate people. So you're, and if you think slow, and I do, well, but slow. I, some days I can barely read people. It takes you a while to make up your mind. And while you're doing this, you're, the public is forming opinions the whole time. And so you head to the cellar and you try to stay on neutral ground. There was a time in Israel's history when this was the case. Um, it's in Judges chapter 12. Jephthah was the ruler at that time. And Jephthah decided to go into battle against the Ammonites. He was a great warrior. He, he recruited an army to do this, but he forgot. Well, he didn't forget. He just sort of bypassed the Ephraimites. Now, again, the Ephraimites was a tribe. It was like a sect or a party inside of the nation. There was the nation as a whole, and then there were the Ephraimites here. They belonged to him. But he forgot to ask them to join him in the battle. And so they surrounded his house one day and they said, we're going to burn down your house with you in it. Yeah, give peace a chance, right? He retaliates by recruiting a tribe of Gileadites, this party over here, 
And that tribe seizes control of the fords of the Jordan River. Now, the fords are simply the place in the river where the water is slow enough and shallow enough to get across. And so he had the Gileadites get control of the passageway through the Jordan River. Every Ephraimite had to go through it in order to get back to his hometown. And when he came to the river, the soldiers were there with swords, and they would ask them, are you an Ephraimite? It's <laughs> like saying he's from the south in Gettysburg. Of course you're going to say no. Then they would say, all right, say Shibboleth. Which, by the way, means ear of corn. You say, wait a minute, what does an ear of corn have to do with the battle? Well, it has nothing to do with the battle, but that's kind of the point, isn't it? They would say, say shibboleth. And because the Ephraimite couldn't pronounce the sh, but only the s, he said sibboleth. And when the traveler said sibboleth, they seized him and they ran him through with the sword. They killed 42 thousand of their own people at the fords of the Jordan River because they got the word wrong. Vic Hamilton points out all of the judges combined over a hundred years killed 15,000. So they killed virtually three times the amount of their own people as all of the judges combined killed of the enemy over something like the pronunciation of a word. You can say, how on earth did you get to the point where you put so much on so little evidence? But this is kind of what we've done, isn't it? Whether the subject was race or economics or politics or elections or global warming, we have loaded onto one opinion more weight than that opinion was designed to carry. Now, I'm not telling you that the issues were unimportant. I'm simply saying they were not designed to carry the amount of weight that we put on those issues. But we have made radical decisions. We have canceled people because they got the word wrong. It was like this in Paul's day in Rome. There were Christians that were, that were Romans and then there were Christians that were Jews. And so the Jews and the Romans, well, they didn't always get along. And the issue in Paul's day was over the diet in the days. Um, when it came to the diet, the Jews felt like the meat still needed to be prepared kosher. It, 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 it could only come from certain sources, and the Romans felt like, hey, meat is meat, man, pass it. And when it came to the days, 
um, the Jews were leaning toward a Sabbath, which was a Saturday, and some of the Romans were still practicing what they called lucky days and unlucky days. And for the Jews, they were like, wait a minute, I mean, if you love God, you don't believe in luck. So they were starting to attack one another. The, the problem with the meat was that it came often from pagan sacrifices in pagan temples. They would take the meat that was left over from the animal and sell it in the markets. And people were poor. They didn't have access to meat. And so some were just saying, man, I don't care. I just need to eat. And others were saying, no, no, no. The scruples matter. It reminds me when in my, in my first church years ago, somebody after the first service said, careful, that's still a hot subject. Uh, the, the big issue with the parents was whether or not your kids could go trick-or-treating on Halloween. I was like, what? Are we really talking about this? I had some parents that were saying, you cannot let your kids trick-or-treat on Halloween because that's the devil's holiday and you do not sacrifice your children to the devil for anything. And I had other parents that were saying, what are you talking about? Kids like to dress up and go have fun. It is, I'm not doing this. And they would come to me to settle it. And I wanted to head to the cellar. I remember them saying, Pastor Steve, how can you like throw your children to the devil on Halloween? And I kept saying, it's not about demon worship. It is about free candy. <laughs> My loyalties are not to any demon. My loyalties are to baby roots and Mars bars, <laughs> period. Well, this was happening and people were forming deep convictions about the other side, beginning to question the character of this. All that's changed is the subject. It's heavier now, but it still can't carry the division. So Paul said, in every organization, there are weak people and strong people. And as you read Romans chapter 14, you're tempted to think that the weak people are those who are conservative. They don't get to do anything. And the strong people are those who are more free or progressive, and they get to do everything. But that would be reading the passage wrong. As Paul defines the weak and the strong, Paul says, the weak are those who cannot discern between what is essential and not essential. They are always drawing a short straight line in between a deep-seated belief and a daily practice. And their tendency is to always grab a proof text and set it over some argument as if, well, here, let me drop this one on you. And you're like, oh, now I'm arguing with God. And then they hold other people to the standards that they themselves practice. Paul said the congregation will always have people like that in it. They're the weaker ones. But watch it. Paul says the onus is on the strong ones to protect the union. 
If God has given you the freedom to do things that other people cannot do, Paul says you must restrain your freedom to the convictions of the other person when you are with them. You are free to be fully convinced in your own mind. You are free to do what you feel God allows you to do, but you are not free to invite somebody else into that activity. It stops there. Because Paul says the most important thing is not the conviction that you or the other person has, the most important part is the other person. Your focus is always on the life and the growth of the other person. You are to provoke the other person toward love and good deeds. That's the target. So one never enters an argument for the purpose of expressing themselves. Paul says you've missed the point. The purpose is to edify the other person. Because the kingdom of God is what we're building here. God never called us to tolerate one another. He called us to forbear one another in love. He never called us to diversity. He called us to union in diversity. Diversity itself isn't the point. Union in the diversity is the point. So I'm asking myself, how does this change the conversations that I enter? Because people, I haven't, I haven't done this right all of the time. Here's a few questions that, um, that I'm asking myself, and maybe if you want, you might. One is before the conversation begins, what is the spirit that is in me? Is it a spirit of love or is it a spirit of fear? Are the tones of this conversation generative? Do they open up more conversations? Or are they aggressive? Do they shut them down? Do I have a spirit of humility? Let me say it differently. Do I see myself in the right proportion to the other people in the room? 
Do I see myself as I really am in proportion to the other personalities in the room? Second, I'm asking myself about the process. Is my relationship with this person capable of sustaining the weight of this conversation? The lockdown separated us. We formed our convictions in solitude and then brought those convictions into the public square. It was a disaster waiting to happen. Rather than making our minds up in the company of others, which is always the way of God, for he is three and not just one, we made them up in private and then used the public conversations as a way to persuade. So am I making my mind up before the conversation begins or am I suspending judgment and deciding while we're having the conversation? And here's the last questions. In what shape or condition am I leaving the other person? When you leave the conversation of someone who's smart, you are always impressed with how smart they are. But when you leave a conversation with someone who is really smart, you're always impressed with how smart you are. Good people do not try to impress you. They build you up and they leave you to God. And you always lead the conversation feeling better, not worse, about yourself. My friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, the kingdom of God is not a matter of economics, race, politics, viruses, these are all important, but they are not essential in the kingdom of God. We want to get them right, but they are not the core in the kingdom of God. The core is righteousness, justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit.